Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Don't believe us, Daniel. Don't believe us, Daniel. Don't tell you shout, Daniel. Don't tell you shout, Daniel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Finneran's Wake. I am with everlasting commitment to the cause of great conversation, your faithful friend and host, Daniel Finneran. Thank you so very much for joining me today. If, dear friend and listener and viewer, you find these conversations enlightening, entertaining, edifying, stimulating to the mind, or nourishing to the soul, please do consider subscribing to my modest little channel. What we have here is a growing but little community of inquisitive minds, among which yours doubtless belongs. For content specific to wellness, mindfulness, meditation, philosophy, literature, and sleep, please do consider visiting my sister project, Numa by Daniel Finneran, on which you'll find an assortment of episodes relevant to those themes. My esteemed guest today, with whom I'm very lucky to have the chance to talk, is Logan Wright. Logan is the founder of Greco Gum, a young, bold, hugely popular company by which one might be misled into thinking I'm sponsored. It's uh, hardly is there a person to whom I haven't enthusiastically recommended its product. People have become suspicious of my motivations, but I can assure you they are sincere and uncompensated. And what is that product that I've been pushing so enthusiastically? It's mastic gum. For the chiseling of the jaw, the heightening of virility, the enhancement of beauty, and perhaps the restoration of our civilization, we should all be chewing mastic gum. But more on that to come. Logan, thank you so very much for agreeing to join me today. Thank you, Daniel. And I appreciate that warm welcome. I think you, you really nailed it there. I hope so. I was working on it all last night. Uh, so in his great work, The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis memorably described men without chests. Now, we seem to have entered an age in which men lack not only chests, but jaws. Chestless and jawless, modern man suddenly risks collapsing in on himself, disintegrating into a formless lump of atrophied flesh. Tell me, Logan, how do we recover our jaw in both the literal and the metaphorical sense? Step one is go to grecogum.com and place your order. And step two would be to chew said gum. Now, there's a lot of truth to what you said, because the reality is there's a lot of men out there with no chest, no shoulder, and no jawline. And all of these are symptoms of how comfortable society has become uh, due to, in large part, the agricultural revolution and the world becoming more industrialized. We have it easy. And with muscle, if you don't use it, you lose it. And if you look at the types of foods that people have been consuming for the past hundred years, they're soft. There's little difficulty in chewing and consuming them. Whereas before, you know, our grandparents and their parents would have consumed lots of 
tougher cuts of meats, grains, and tubers, things that actually required effort and took time to chew. Um, now everything is mushy and soft, or people are consuming a lot more of their calories from liquids as well. So there isn't the need for the masseter muscles compared to 100, 200 years ago. And that has led to the shrinking of our mouths as well as our airways. And what this has done is it's led to an overcrowding of your mouth, um, the narrowing of airways. So there's a lot more people who are breathing exclusively through their mouth now. There's a lot more people with um, the need for braces now. You'll notice, um, you know, your parents, there was a couple of kids in their class who had braces, but now braces are the rule rather than the exception. And because we're not using these jaw muscles, our mouths don't need to be as big, so they're shrinking, our teeth are overcrowded, they're shifting, they're crooked. And this whole host of problems, you know, and it's not just physically speaking, it's also visual as well. I mean, you can look at somebody's face and it's narrow compared to the faces and skulls of their ancestors. So we've seen this dramatic shift happen in a, just a few generations, which is pretty alarming. Yeah, the rapidity with which this has happened is what's most astonishing to me. Um, I can remember back to my school days, and like you said, braces were ubiquitous. It would be the rare child who was spared <laughs> the pleasures of having them placed on his teeth and the, the parent who was spared the expense of having to fund them um, in, in your class. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Nowadays, we slurp on smoothies, we drink down our protein shakes, we sip on lattes, we, we, we take drags on our vape pens, and we eat mushy, soft, easy carbohydrates and relegate for long hours of the day those vital chewing muscles, the masseter, like you, you mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, you know, and as a result, you know, our entire facial structure, our profiles have undergone these, these radical changes is that change reversible? And can your fine product help to reverse that trend? It is reversible on an individual basis to an extent. So anybody can get larger muscles, but not everybody can become Ronnie Coleman or Jay Cutler. We all have our own genetic potential and there is a ceiling on what is possible. Um, you know, if we're looking at dramatic shifts, that will have to happen over a series of generations. But it's so easy to start chewing. And it's not just chewing that you can do to improve um, your facial structure and appearance. You can also practice proper tongue posture, which is essentially just having your tongue rest on the roof of your mouth um, when you go about your day rather than leaving your mouth open. And this slight pressure will actually allow your palate to expand. And 
the other thing that you need to be doing is breathing through your nose as much as possible. So when you breathe through your mouth, it's inefficient compared to breathing through your nose, which is what your nose was designed exclusively to do. Your nose also does a lot of filtration that your mouth cannot do. So you're really leaving a lot of energy on the table if you're exclusively breathing through your mouth compared to nasal breathing. And this is difficult for a lot of people to do. And again, it's one of those things where if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's something that will require deliberate practice if it's not something that you're very mindful of. And it's something that I've struggled with my, my entire life was breathing through my through my nose, I was struggling with mouth breathing myself. And I was looking for solutions and ways to help clear my sinuses and open up my airways. And that's how I stumbled onto the research that shows that heavy resistance chewing can allow your airways to open up to enable you to breathe better. So these things are all intertwined and they will have an impact and an effect when you practice all three together. There's, there's no doubt about that. I've heard from hundreds of our customers. I've experienced it myself. My friends and family have experienced the benefits for themselves. So yes, it's certainly possible, but also um, what is achievable needs to be met with realistic expectations. You know, it's, it's like when people start working out their abs, um, yes, you definitely do need to do the exercises, but also your dietary habits will dictate your appearance as well. So you can do all of the resist heavy resistance training that you want, but you need to make sure your diet is in check so that the muscles are visible as well. Yeah, and that's one of the misleading ways in which a lot of companies will advertise. You'll see, for instance, on certain YouTube channels, these uh, these products that look quite bizarre, right? They're these like jaws or size type products that I'm sure yes. you've seen on occasion. And of course, to entice the viewer to purchase this product, they they have this immaculately chiseled jawed man <laughs> crunching down on this product. And, uh, you know, there's a certain... Um, inborn physiological ceiling that you just described. Not everyone is going to look as handsome as him. Now you, for instance, not to flatter you excessively, but you know, you have a great countenance, the, the great <laughs> and exquisitely shaped face and jaw. That's attributable to the good genetic fortune that you've been born into. And also some of the practice that you've implemented with chewing of the gum. So, uh, I think what you're saying is we can certainly improve the structures of our faces through these techniques, but we might not all look like uh, runway models at the end of our, at the end of our uh, projects. Certainly. But the most important thing is, yes, there is always room for improvement and you cannot let your genetics or your situation prevent you from pursuing excellence. No, I agree with that completely. Um, I 
learned about the radical alterations that our facial structures have undergone, um, mostly by reading some of the articles describing our forebears, those who existed in the sort of the pre-agriculture or at least the pre-industrial times uh, and in the modern man. And that to me was the most striking thing. I never had any issues with, with breathing. Um, at least I didn't think I did at the time before implementing uh, your product into my daily regimen. Um, but it was really that, that contrast between the two ages. So have you done any further research into that? You, you mentioned it, but uh, having embarked upon this business journey uh, and also this intellectual and physical one, have you done more research into the sort of the pre-industrial traditional peoples of the world and what they consume and, and how their faces look as compared with, with those of the modern man in the West? Yeah. All it really takes is to look at a skull from two, 300 years ago and look at a modern skull. And the visual difference is striking. And what you'll notice immediately is the skull of a, let's say a hunter-gatherer. It's very wide and rectangular. Whereas a modern skull, it's narrow. It almost doesn't even seem like the same species because the difference is so striking. And what happens when you narrow something like that is things are going to move around and shift. And how do we, how do we fit the same things with a smaller space? And what I, the point I was making earlier about the narrowing of the mouths and the airways, well, that's how they accommodate for the narrowing of the skull. And the reason that the skull narrowed is to the point I made again earlier was about the dietary choices and the lifestyle choices. So yes, they were eating foods that were tougher and required more um, chewing to consume, but also the, the time spent chewing too. So they may have spent a couple of hours a day simply chewing and also while they were eating, you know, it's not, you're not sitting there mindlessly consuming um, while you're scrolling on your phone, just slurping it down as quickly as possible. You know, you may have been sitting around the fire and it's very intentional and you're savoring it because not every meal is guaranteed. So the act of eating it in itself, you know, was something to be prolonged and not to be just so trivialized and, you know, on to the next thing, you know, I foresee a time in the future where people will be happy to just have their meals in a pill form and okay, time for my lunch pill. And you're already seeing that now with like the, you see a lot of these athletic green style supplements, meal replacement things. And now like, instead of eating, your broccoli and your kale and things that actually are quite fibrous um, now just just pop this pill and you're at this rate i mean we won't even need to have jaw muscles right and that was my point these these essential muscles you know on which the extraction of our nutrition was absolutely dependent have been relegated to 
almost in utility. They're completely idle. You make a perfect point, and I always think about that. Yes, we applaud the efforts of Athletic Greens and other companies like this uh, to desiccate all of these vital nutrients and vitamins and make them more readily accessible to everybody who might not otherwise consume kale and broccoli, like you said. Um, but at what cost? And there is a significant cost. <laughs> you could go, you could go 24 hours, not, <laughs> and aside from talking, not really use your jaw muscles, not really utilize and exercise your facial muscles. Um, so yes, maybe you're getting those nutrients that you might otherwise not, but, but you're missing out on so much more. And, and Logan, I'll say, and I want to ask you this as well, but I'll say the, the one thing that I've changed in regard to my health and wellness most recently, and that which has had the greatest effect on me, I think, is slowing down the way in which I consume food, really thoroughly chewing. And it sounds silly, like, of course, you chew your food and you swallow it and, you know, we all know how to do this, but we really don't. It's a great unlearning that we've undergone. And I feel this way about a lot of things like breathing that you just mentioned, um, even uh, just the posture of your mouth, the way in which you hold your tongue. It's a great unlearning, almost as though for most of our species history, it's, it's just the way life was lived. It's just the way we maintained ourselves. But something has happened in the past couple hundred years, like you said, in relation to those skulls that have caused us to forget these lessons that are almost imprinted on our DNA. So for me, the biggest thing that I've changed is the way in which I eat, the way in which I chew specifically. I'll spend, you know, five to 10 minutes on, on maybe one forkful of steak, for instance, really trying to, to masticate it, to, to reduce it down to its vital smallest components and then to swallow it. Let me ask you, perhaps it's the same response, but what has been the most significant um, adjustment to your health and wellness, maybe in the past six to 12 months that you've implemented that you'd like to discuss? Well, for me, uh, it's, it is the nasal breathing. Uh, I mentioned that it's something that has been a problem my whole life, uh, being a mouth breather. And even uh, with the deliberate practice, you know, I have to be on top of it because old habits do die hard. Um, and there are ways to make it easier. You know, you can tape your mouth shut at night. Um, and that certainly will, you'll notice the difference when you wake up in the morning. Instead of waking up and, you know, you have a, a dry mouth, and you have difficulty just getting out of your bed, you'll notice you'll wake up refreshed. And that is because you've been breathing through your nose the entire night. You know, that's eight hours of nasal breathing. I mean, that'll jumpstart your day better than any cup of coffee ever could. The other um, benefit for me is fasting. So I'll often eat two meals a day which means I may go 12 or 15 hours without consuming anything other than water. And being able to chew gum, particularly mastic gum, during these fasting periods um, makes it so much easier on your body and especially on your mind. 
just that physical act of chewing, having something in your mouth. Um, and with, with the mastic gum, because it does require more effort than um, your standard piece of gum, um, you're, you're thinking about it more. You're just more aware. Um, so it really helps me not try to put anything in my mouth, prevents me from snacking. And the act, I, th I do believe that chewing gum is an excellent appetite suppressant. So the reason I'm able to go those long periods of time is because simply because I'm just not that hungry because the gum is doing its job. My body thinks that it is eating. And, you know, it is getting nutrition in the form of minerals like zinc that is naturally occurring in the gum. But because we don't have any additives or um, added sugars or sweeteners, it's calorie free. So your body does remain in a fasted state. Yeah. And, and that's one of the features of this gum that I, that I appreciate the most. Like you, I've been a um, an adherent to intermittent fasting for quite a long time. I've done different protocols from 24, you know, 20 hours fasted to a four hour window. I've done full 24 hours. Uh, right now I'm, I'm, I've gone back to kind of like the 16 hour to eight hour window. Although week by week, I, I tend to play with that just to keep myself metabolically on my toes, so to speak. Uh, but one thing that I really disliked about and continue to dislike about all the commercial big name brands of gum is that they they have exobiotic materials, let's say, that can technically and and fundamentally kick you out of that fasted state. So they might have just a little bit of sucralose or a little bit of some sort of uh, sweetener that is almost undetectable, but just gives it a little bit of something that is caloric necessarily. Um, and after having begun chewing your gum and making and having made it, uh, you know, an integral part of my day, I really can't even imagine going back to those sweetened gums. They, they all, it's the same way that once you sort of graduate away from artificial sweeteners and you begin consuming more fruit, for instance, the thought of uh, like a fruit roll up is just cloying. You, you, you almost couldn't tolerate just how artificially sweet it is. Uh, so I find that your gum has that same effect on me to the point of it's being a satiating substance to get you through those long fasts. I wholeheartedly agree. There's something about having something uh, fixating that oral desire, <laughs> mm. moving the mouth that is very effective uh, in getting you through those long periods that might otherwise be laborious when you're fasting. But uh, I can tell you've probably gotten to a point where your willpower is probably built up pretty nicely and you can sustain those longer fasts without too much trouble. To your point about those gums, I would like to uh, talk about those for a moment because the sweeteners are the least of your concern when it comes to the type of gum that you would buy in a grocery store. Um, if you look at the list of ingredients, you know, it can be pretty jarring because all you're going to see are these chemical compounds that to the average person mean nothing. And the reality is these, 
these so-called gums are really nothing more than just pieces of rubber and plastic that are flavored with chemicals. And they're sneaky about it too. So yes, you can look at the list of ingredients and you can see the corn syrup and you can see the um, xylitol or you can see the aspartame and you can see all those things. But where it, where it really gets interesting is where something called the gum base. Now, this is what gives the gum itself that chewy texture. And if you look at what actually goes into the gum base, and it is difficult to find out what goes into the gum base, it's a very vague, broad term, and that's on purpose um, because they'll each have their own compound, chemical compound. And uh, it's pretty nasty. I mean, it's basically a concoction of vegetable oils, like shortening palm oil, um, things that I can't even pronounce. And they're just, this is to mimic the chewy texture that you naturally get from mastic gum. So it's, it's really tough to see people chewing on these things that are, you know, essentially a car tire, you know, that are just, they give, they're given a cute fruity name and you think, Oh, it's just gum. How hard, harmless could it be? But the reality is these these gums are, are filled with microplastics and which means the world and the ocean are filled with these gums and microplastics because they don't dissolve or break down. I mean, these are forever chemicals that you're chewing on and spitting out. And spitting out. Let me em emphasize that just momentarily because this is uh, something of which I certainly have been guilty in the past uh, with no better alternative and sort of away from everyone else uh, and therefore perhaps not susceptible to being called out. What do you do when that, that flavored piece of gum loses its flavor and suddenly becomes an annoyance to chew while you, you either put it in your hand and throw it as far as you can into the woods or you spit it out onto the street or into a, into a bush? But just as you said, these are chemicals that are forever chemicals. They're not easily broken down. They're not biodegradable. So what you're doing is really in sort of a, maybe an um, unwillful way, you're contributing to the pollution of this beautiful world of ours. <laughs> now, I just want to take this opportunity and read very briefly uh, the ingredient list. And I do emphasize ingredient list of Greco gum, and it's 100% pure crystallized sap from mastic trees. That is all, with nothing else added. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about the sourcing of this gum, because it comes from a very unique place in this world, a very ancient place, um, and one about which I think we all need to learn a little bit more. So can you tell us? Sure. It, it is certainly unique in that mastic gum comes from the mastic tree, which is um, a shrub that grows on the island of Chios. And it's off of the coast of it's in between Greece and Turkey. And this tree grows in other Mediterranean regions, but the tree only produces this sap on this island. And nobody can really say for certain why that is. Um, the, the commonly accepted theory now is it's due to the underwater volcanic activity that has created this unique microclimate, which allows for the sap to flourish. Um, 
so it's it's got a very cool backstory and it's been it's been coveted for thousands of years as well and in fact this sap was worth its weight in gold literally at one point in time it was treasured by the ancient greeks uh, philosophers and warriors who all understood the therapeutic benefits that were uh, received from chewing it and the cultivation and harvesting of the mastic is it's pretty interesting as well because the the way the gum is harvested is the trees are cut like you would cut somebody's skin and bleed out while the sap now begins to slowly drip out of this tree and then it falls to the ground and over a, a series of weeks and months it begins to crystallize harden and cure and then after that it becomes it goes to the processing where it's hand cleaned sorted filtered and categorized and graded based on its purity and because it is an organic uh good um and it's harvested once per year and it's unpredictable how the harvest will be so it could be a good year or it could be a bad year and that will dictate ultimately how much mastic is available so it's very unpredictable um it's very unique in that it can only be sourced from this one place and it's all done by hand uh, the same traditional methods are used today that were used a thousand years ago which i'm sure as a business owner uh, can be a little bit um, stressful knowing that you have these limitations put upon you by nature herself <laughs> uh, maybe you can speak to that for a moment yeah, absolutely. Um, on top of all those things that I just mentioned, um, the gum itself is temperamental and heat sensitive. So we have to be very creative uh, with how we ship and do any sort of transportation with the gum because the last thing that we want to do is provide somebody with a melted product that they can't chew on. So there are a lot of challenges um, given how unique it's the characteristics of mastic are but also that's part of the the charm and the appeal about it is how fickle and that that scarcity that surrounds it and one of the biggest challenges we've had is having consistent inventory and being able to provide our customers on a regular basis um, we've had to go sometimes weeks without being able to take any orders simply because there there isn't any around and because we're not willing to compromise or use anything less than a grade mastic um you know that makes it tough on us but ultimately um long term our customers understand and appreciate you know that unwillingness of us to compromise on quality. Yeah, I would agree with that. And as one of your customers and a very happy one at that, um, I think the general sentiment is just as you expressed it to be. Um, we acknowledge that this is a scarce product, but a vital one and one 
to which it's an absolute wonder that we now have access given supply lines and the ability to, to transport things halfway across the world is just amazing. If you look at the map, this kiosk of which you speak is a little, it's a little island in the Aegean Sea. And to think that this resinous product is being produced by these very extraordinary trees and then coming to me where I live in Southwest Florida, where it arrives at my doorstep completely in unadulterated in perfect condition is just a marvel. So when I go on your website and I notice that a certain uh, product is out of stock, of course there's some frustration and there's some disappointment, but there's also the knowledge of what you just said, precisely what you just said, that there is no compromise on the quality of this product and it is fickle. Right? The elements are fickle. The conditions on the ground are sometimes unpredictable. Uh, so, you know, that's something with which you need to grapple as a, as a business owner, but also the customers need to, need to appreciate. And I think they do by and large. Um, and I should say, having had this gum in Southwest Florida in all sorts of conditions <laughs> during the course of this very hot summer, it, it holds up remarkably well. Uh, also the product itself, you'll find when you purchase this, and I hope everyone does, that each pellet is not quite like the other. They're all like snowflakes in a certain way. You know, you'll have some that are larger, some that are smaller. And in time, you build up your strength and you're able to, to chew more pellets and they're long lasting. So you might, you might take a pack of Trident gum that you see you know, in the checkout lane of your local grocery store and notice that it's $5 or maybe even less than that without really paying too much attention to the ingredient list or the ingredients list. And then you'll look at the Greco gum, which is a little bit more expensive, of course, um, but it's very long lasting. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. I can put one piece of, of Greco gum into my mouth and I can be chewing it for the next three, four or five days. Uh, there's no loss of flavor. Um, it, it slowly disintegrates, but that takes so, you know, quite some time. Uh, so how is it that it's so long lived? Yeah, when you when you compare, you know, a pack of our gum to a pack of gum that you'll see at the grocery store, I mean, on, on the surface, it's pretty absurd, right? Like, how are we, how can we expect somebody to pay 30x um, for a, a pack of gum? But the value justifies it. And what I mean by that is a single tin of our gum will last you well over a month. And that's because these pieces can be chewed multiple times before they begin to lose their integrity. And when you look at the benefits that are acquired from the chewing, I mean, you have to put, you have to consider the investment that you're making in yourself and in your health. And if you're the type of person who would be interested in a product like this, then there's no doubt that you're also doing other sorts of things that the regular Joe isn't doing. And let me be clear, this gum is not for the average Joe. I mean, it's for people who are serious about how they look and feel. So if you're one of those people, um, the ends certainly justify the means. Yeah, and, and the, the visual result, the aesthetic result, I think also justifies the means, which is you know, these, these beautiful broad jaws that we're all developing. <laughs> Logan, I want to ask you a little bit more about your personal story. We've, I think, covered the product uh, and we shall continue to, but I want to know a little bit about 
your biography. Who were you back in high school? If we were to be reacquainted, uh, maybe when you were 17 years of age, nearing the end of high school, let's say, uh, what were your dreams? What were your aspirations? Did you plan on becoming an entrepreneur? Did you have a mind to do something else? What were your mm. thoughts back then? Yeah, definitely. I've always been the kind of guy who wanted to start a business, always kicked around the idea. Um, and it was always my dream to start a business. I just didn't know what that business would be. So I would often sit around deliberating, um, trying to come up with an idea or a product or a solution, and then doing a little bit of that initial research and then figuring out or trying to rationalize to myself why, no, this isn't the right idea. This isn't the right time. Keep, keep searching, keep looking for, you know, an idea that will actually work. So I did that for many years, um, just always talking myself out of it. And uh, the way this business started was kind of the complete opposite of that. So uh, I had been working and my contract position had expired. So I had some time in between where I didn't have a gig lined up. And I needed something to fill that time. And I figured, okay, I've been thinking and talking about starting a business for years. When am I ever going to actually do it? So I had the timing was right. And I didn't want to fall into the same habits of doing all this research, making these a business plan, a PowerPoint presentation, and then not actually starting anything. So I did, I didn't do any of that. I started the business first and then started doing research, started figuring out the target audience, started figuring out logistics and pricing and all that. But step one was just to launch the business. And if it fails, it fails. But at least like, at least I tried it. I didn't want to just not try again. So I started the business and then I knew, you know, I knew it would be a, a niche product like uh, I spend a lot of time with uh, the bodybuilding community, weightlifting community on Twitter, and they're always a few years ahead of the curve um, as far as anything nutrition or supplement related. Okay, the only science I, I trust nowadays is bro science because these are the people who are, we're not looking at a study, we're not looking at a research paper, we're testing things on ourselves right we're actually you know we're in the trenches okay so, which in many ways if i can if i may which in many ways is the way in which science used to work not necessarily testing on oneself correct. but really but really having a little bit of flesh in the game and i agree with you completely i <laughs> i elevate bro science high above tradition well what has become the established science Exactly. So uh, I had come across um, Mastic Gum through there. So I knew that there were some people who chewed it and they had great results. So I got interested in it. Um, I sourced it myself. And th so that was my audience. I had a very niche audience. And it turns out it wasn't as niche as I initially suspected. And actually, I mean, the business took off immediately from, from day one. So 
you know, it goes to show that sometimes you can do all the planning and prep and research in the world and get nothing out of it. Or, you know, just just put yourself out there and you build it and they will come. And sometimes they will come. Sometimes they won't. But in this case, they did. It's an extraordinary story. Um, and in this age of social media, um, it seems to me, and in the internet more generally, it seems to me that there's never been a, a, a better time to do exactly what you just described, sort of to launch something and, and to test it in real time instead of doing it in the more traditional way that may have been implemented prior to the advent of the internet. When you say you just started the business, for those of us who um, aren't entrepreneurial by our nature and don't really ever imagine starting a business. What exactly does that mean? You say you started the business. What did you do exactly? Did you just advertise on Twitter? I mean, obviously you created a website, but I'll stop. You tell us, what did you do to, to start this business at its inception? Yeah. So, you know, saying just start a business, it, you know, that glosses over a lot of the initial thought that went into it. Um, but also, you know, sometimes you have to just simplify things and make it seem less daunting than what it actually is. Because if you actually break it down micro step by micro step, I mean, it's it's going to turn people off. But when you say just start a business, okay, I can do that. Um, but what that means is, you know, of course, you have to have the idea. And then once you have the idea, you need the, the good itself. So a lot of effort and um, research went into sourcing the best mastic that is available anywhere in the world, building those relationships with the growers who provide the mastic and, you know, making sure that they believe in you and that they understand you're going to treat the product with the proper respect and care that it deserves because for them, this is their livelihood. So I'm not trying to just uh, come in and, I don't, I need to do it justice because they work all year long to produce the mastic. So getting the actual gum itself was, you know, the hardest part and making sure that the quality and the consistency is there. And from there, it's, it's, it's really just, you know, bu building a simple website, having an, an identity. And then once you've got the site just to bare bones you can put yourself out there and see what the reception is and maybe people will place orders maybe they won't and from there you can scale up and put more um, thought into the packaging itself the user experience that the customers get when they're on your website um, your brand persona and identity so how you're presenting yourself through the emails that you send your customers um, how you interact and engage with them on social media and just that overall personality. Like when you think of Greco gum or when you think of whatever company, like there should be an image or uh, some characteristics that immediately pop into your mind. Otherwise you're not going to be memorable and you're just another, another fish in the sea of um, a million businesses that get advertised or promoted to you on a regular basis and you're yeah, lost and I, right right and i can certainly attest to the to the elegance and the beauty of the design hopefully everybody can see and if not you can always visit 
uh, Logan's website or, or Greco Gum's website. It, it's very clean, uh, very sparse, very Spartan, you might say, <laughs> and perhaps deliberately well, so. Um, when I think of Greco Gum, and I'm a bit of a, a Phil Hellene, I love uh, Greek philosophy and mythology, and literature. Uh, so my thought races to Achilles, uh, you know, on the shores of, of Troy, um, near Turkey, where <laughs> where uh, so many of these contests were held. Um, and and just that kind of that ancient classical uh, physique and that spiritedness. And I, I think in many ways, especially in the bro science world, that is that is being uh, relearned, readopted uh, and lived out in, in many ways. We have time maybe for just a couple more questions, if you, if you're able to. I just want to ask, um, maybe in broad strokes or in fine detail, if you want to uh, expose that. What is your diet like? You mentioned the bro science. We all know that the raw milk and the raw dairy and the liver and the you know the heart and the the, um, the organ meats are becoming very popular. You mentioned kale and broccoli a little bit earlier. So, can you tell us what your diet consists of? Yeah, I, I really don't fall into one of those strict camps where it's like paleo, uh, vegan, or carnivore. For me, I I really eat intuitively in that I don't track my macros. I don't count calories. Um, really, if a food tastes good, then I'll eat it. And it just so happens the the healthiest and most nutritious foods in the world taste good. And that's not a coincidence. It's by design. Um, our body naturally craves these things that are high in nutrients. So uh, for me, it's, it is a lot of meat, but it's also a lot of fruit as well, too. Uh, I'm not afraid of sugar, but when I consume sugar, I'm consuming it in the form of maple syrup or honey or raspberries. Um, and the other thing, too, is um, I'm not scared of fat either. So butter, eggs, um, meat with skin on it, of course, um, beef. So things that, you know, again, to the traditional person you may come across in the street, they think, oh, those foods are so high in cholesterol. They're high in sugar. But they're that's fine. I'm. I'm not scared of those things. Um, your body desires those things for a reason. Absolutely. I'm just listening to my body. Ab absolutely. Uh, the problem is with so many people, because of this great unlearning that I described earlier, there's a, there's a disconnection, there's a disharmony between the, the, the answers that your body are, are, are giving, that your body is giving you. Uh, so listening to one's body, to a person who hasn't been kind of conditioned to relearn the ways of our past is sometimes difficult. Like listening to, to, the, to a modern body, an obese modern body might just look like Fruit Loops. It might look like, <laughs> right? It, it might look like, uh, you know, highly processed artificial sweets. And that's that's the disconnect that I hope is being broken and, and sort of the wiring is being um, recircuited in such a way that, that we reconnect to our traditional ways of eating. Now, if anyone out there listening has a mind to do so, you can, you can refer back to a couple of episodes I did, one with Sally Fallon, who is the founder of the Nourishing Traditions uh, Network. And she's 
long been an advocate of animal fats, a diet heavily based upon animal fats. She was one of the, the forerunners of this, a student of Weston A. Price, who's a, who's a prominent um, thinker in this field, uh, a Canadian dentist, I think, by trade, and also my conversation with Dr. Robert Kiltz, who's, who's a carnivore-based um, physician, and he's a carnivore advocate, strictly, but also speaks very um very knowledgeably about a, a fat-based diet and the benefits of that sort of diet. And it seems to me, just anecdotally, having kind of perused the, the Twitter space of the bro science crowd and also spoken with a lot of people in the fitness and wellness uh, industries, it seems to be that way of eating is most universally endorsed. It's intuitive. It doesn't eschew, it doesn't shun natural sugars like honey, maple syrup, and, and good fruits, fibrous fruits especially, and also meats and, and, and fatty things like that, butter instead of margarine and those sorts of things. So, yeah. so our, di our diets uh, align almost perfectly. We're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. All we're trying to do is return to ways that we know worked. I mean, we tend to look at uh, our lives in a very short linear fashion in that we think, oh, well, this is how it's been for the past 30 years. So I guess like that's just what normal is. But, you know, when you look back in the, the scale of time and for thousands and hundreds of years, people have been consuming these things and we look at their dental records and we look at their skeletons and they're in better shape than what you will find on a person today. Uh, we have to ask questions and reassess, you know, the, the stuff that we're force fed into us from a young age. If you look at the food pyramid, of course, everyone knows it's completely backwards and they've got it upside down. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who really still believe that, um, margarine is better for you than butter, that egg whites have more nutrition in them than the yolks, and that you need to be putting on these creams and lotions that have 15 chemical compounds combined into one, when we know people were just using lard to lotion themselves with, and that worked just fine for many generations. So you know, at a certain point in time, it's you need to stop tinkering and trying to improve when the optimal solution is already out there. But the challenge is that you will not be presented with the optimal solution. You have to go and find it on your own. And that's what's radicalizing so many people now. It's that feeling like we have been lied to. I have been lied to my whole life. And the only reason I even came to that conclusion was because something piqued my curiosity and I got, uh, I got an answer that conflicted everything I had ever known. And what you're seeing now, um, especially in media and advertising, is this idea or notion that... Um, beauty is subjective. And at Greco Gum, we 
totally and completely reject that notion. And you're told this because if you look through any magazine now or any ad you see online, what you're going to see, quite frankly, is repulsive. Now, if you go and look at a magazine, even 15, 20 years ago, what you will see are people that are beautiful. By any cultural standard, they're beautiful. Um, and what that is code for really is that they're healthy because things that we find beautiful are markers of health and fertility. So when you see um, a woman who has beautiful long nails, shiny long hair and plump lips, what that's really telling you is that this woman would make an excellent mother with fantastic genetics. And, but your brain doesn't process it that way. Your brain just says, oh, wow, this woman is beautiful. So we're all hardwired to find the same things beautiful. Um, don't fall for the uh, propaganda that, you know, health at any size, there are beauty standards are arbitrary. No, that's not true. Um, okay, yes, they say beauty is shaped in the eye of the beholder, but the eye of the beholder was shaped by biology. And we cannot escape human biology. We're straying from it, you know, with all of these um, novelty things that are being introduced into our society. Like, we shouldn't be able to eat 3,000 calories of uh, some sugar smoothie bomb but our body still is in that scarcity mode where, yeah, we need to get those calories in because you don't know when you'll eat again. So there is um, that challenge that we're having where our genetics haven't quite caught up to our modern ways of living. So it, it will take that effort and the thoughtfulness to really be mindful of the things that you're approaching and consuming and we all know about our our diet and the foods that we put into our body but it's just as important to be mindful of the things that we're consuming with our eyes and our ears and the messaging that we're being programmed with so if you see somebody saying something is good for you uh, a useful heuristic in 2023 is that is bad for you if they say something is bad for you, it's more useful to assume that is good for you. And if there is one key takeaway, um, the people watching this learn is just to really be mindful of what you're being told is right versus what you're being told is wrong, what you're being told is healthy, what you're being told is unhealthy. Because as we know, things are not often what they seem. And when in doubt, Trust the bro science. <laughs> Logan, upon the eloquence, the simplicity, and the genius of that response, I don't think I could improve. You, you captured and encapsulated so much, so perfectly well um, in your words. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Um, we should probably clip that and broadcast it to the entire world. Uh, I just want to make a few notes, and then we'll, we'll conclude. Uh, 
you, you mentioned the, the prejudice of the now, and I think you're absolutely right to do so. We were talking about diet specifically, but it transcends almost every, every institution, every space, cultural, religious, um, literary. We have this bias toward the present in thinking that we are morally superior, we are more intelligent, we are more advanced than anyone by whom we were preceded. And that simply is not the case. And it, it, perhaps I sound a little too conservative in describing the real world as I do, um, but I think there's much more accumulated wisdom that we can derive from our past than that which we've suddenly come up with today. And I think that disconnection between the two, between the past, our forebears, and our contemporaries is in large part what's causing so much trouble <laughs> today. Um, Absolutely. If you're <laughs> feeling under the weather and you have two options, you can either go to the pharmacy and you can buy this purple potion and it says extra strength, it says it'll relieve your symptoms, or you ask uh, your local babushka and she says to put an onion in a sock and to wear those socks while you sleep at night. Listen, what I'm saying is put the socks on. Babushka science. <laughs> yes. It's undefeated. Yeah. Well, we need to marry babushka science and bro science. And I think that all our ailments will be solved. <laughs> and I just want to tie in one more thing. And it was so well put in your description of beauty to tie in together the Greco gum, the, the Greco theme, uh, and another theme about which I often talk is, is the philosophical. So Plato is famous for his forms, right? These sort of incorporeal ideas that don't just exist in the mind, but exist some kind of in reality. Um, beauty being one of them. There is a form of beauty, as there is a form of truth and goodness and just about everything of which we, physical beings, we partake. Beauty is exactly that. There is a form of beauty. We might feel a little inferior if we don't live up to that form. If you're significantly overweight, if you just don't quite have the profile of a, of a beautiful model, it might not feel good to fall short of that form, but that doesn't negate the existence of the form. It still exists regardless of how you look, regardless of how you feel. Um, so the way in which you describe that form in the real world, I think, is, is instrumental to our being able to, to live. Um, and let me, let me say one more thing about that. And because I believe that we all have a moral obligation and responsibility to make ourselves and the things around us as beautiful as possible. To me, that's just basic manners. Um, why should I have to be subjected to eyesores and visual pollution? To me, that's just rude. If you are capable, and we are all capable, we may not, we're not all capable of becoming tens, but we can all become sevens and seven is above average. That's pretty good. So it's your duty. You need to look good. And especially, especially for the guys, all we need to do is lift weights, 
aspire to do great things because that in itself is something of beauty. Have a purpose. Take care of yourself and take care of the people around you. And you don't need to do anything extraordinary to fulfill that criteria. All you need to do is look at what your ancestors were doing and look around at what your competition is doing. And I mean, the, the fork in the path is pretty clear which way you need to proceed. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's perfectly put. Um, and I don't think there's anything else on which I could end that would, that would be an improvement to what you just said. Perhaps just this, and maybe we can end with this. And that is the famous John Keats line. He finishes Ode uh, on a Grecian urn, again, apropos of your fine product. He says, truth is beauty, beauty is truth. That is all you need to know. And I think with that, we will end. Uh, Logan, thank you again, uh, sincerely, for joining me today. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I wish we could go on further and longer and deeper. Uh, but I will most wholeheartedly recommend that all of my listeners go check out the website grecogum.com. Get yourself a tin. No matter where you are in the world, I'm sure it will be delivered in immaculate condition. You'll be chewing it with relish for the next couple of months, and then you'll have to restock, purchase again. Uh, Logan, do you have any words with which you'd like to leave our listeners today? I just want to thank you, Daniel, and your audience for tuning in and hearing what I have to say. And hopefully you took some of it to heart and you will give our gum a try. Absolutely. I can assure you that many people will, certainly people that are in my immediate circle. Logan, again, you've been stupendous. All the information, all of your experiences will be of great benefit to everybody. And I'm sure that we will all be at least sevens <laughs> after having implemented your wonderful techniques and chewing your gum. So with that, I bid all of my fine listeners farewell. Again, I encourage you all to share this episode with family and friends, subscribe to this modest little channel of mine, and uh, keep up to date with Finneran's Wake. And with that, I wish you all farewell. Shout, Daniel. 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 Shout, Daniel.